I'm Darian Slayton Fleming, and thank you for joining me on Get What You Need and Feel Good About It. Do you find it difficult to ask for what you need? Do you frequently feel misunderstood? Do you have a problem or cause that you would like to learn to manage more effectively? What makes it so hard for us to tell each other how we feel? And how do we speak up for ourselves so we get what we need and feel good about it? How do we do this respectfully so that we honor the needs and feelings of others? Together, we'll explore tips, strategies, and resources that when used mindfully and consistently will improve our results and enrich our relationships. there, I'm Darian Slayton Fleming, and welcome to my first episode of Get What You Need and Feel Good About It. Launching this podcast on April 27th is especially significant for me because today is my late husband, John Fleming's birthday. When I thought about content for this first episode, I couldn't help but think about John because his message is so inspirational and timeless. John never let anything stop him from pursuing his dreams, despite progressive sight loss. And John's dream was to continue skydiving solo, safely. John jumped out of perfectly good airplanes over 1,938 times, and over 1,200 of those jumps occurred as his sight decreased to a point where he only had some limited light perception. Hence our title, Anything is Possible. I wanted to share John's message today with you in his own voice and in his own words. I hope it will help us set our intentions to keep on doing what we love despite barriers that may seem insurmountable. I am a skydiver. Um, about 42 years ago, when I was in the United States Air Force, I was stationed at Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri. Um, <laughs> I, uh, one of my friends, we were watching Wide World of Sports, and the Army parachute team was on. And I made the comment, I think, I've always wanted to try that. Well, one of my friends dared me to do it. And uh, about two weeks later, we found a little drop zone in Higginsville, Missouri. And uh, for $15 and with about 45 minutes of training, I put on an old modified army parachute, round parachute, went up and made my first skydive. Uh, my feet weren't back on the ground before I knew that I was going to do this again. Well, 42 years later, I've made 1,937 skydives. Um, I'd like to just tell you a little bit about um, my skydiving career. Um, it kind of follows the um, example that the, the woman yesterday talking about retinitis pigmentosa and the gradual loss of sight. My skydiving kind of went through those same five um, stages, the uh, pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and then maintenance. I'm in the maintenance stage now, but uh, in... Um, 1963, when I made my first jump, uh, I, my eyesight was, 
was starting to get bad, but it was, was well enough that I could skydive on my own. In 1965, when I went to re-enlist in the Air Force, my eyesight had gotten to the point where they wouldn't let me re-enlist. Uh, during the same time period, I had taken flying lessons and had a pilot's license. Um, in 1969, I was in, in an airplane by myself up flying just for fun, and uh, I came within about 40, maybe 50 feet of having a mid-air collision with an airplane that I just plain didn't see. Um, when I realized what had happened, I landed the airplane. I took the keys into the Air Force airport office, handed them the keys, said, it's been fun, and I never flew an airplane again by myself. Um, in 1978, I moved from California to Oregon, and um, I, I applied for my Oregon driver's license. Well, um, my eyesight was to the point where they wouldn't give me an Oregon driver's license. I still have my California license, so I continued to drive for another four years. In 1978, I stopped to pick up a hitchhiker, turned out to be a mailbox. I um, <laughs> took my truck home, parked it. I never drove my truck again. Um, at that point, my skydiving, I was still jumping by myself. I wasn't using any kind of a special equipment or anything. But what I was, I couldn't see the ground well enough to really know where to land. So I was following another skydiver down, following their parachute and landing where they landed. And while they were under canopy, these guys were yelling at me, turn right, turn left. And it, it was working, but it wasn't really that safe. Well, one day, one of my friends told me, this way, BJ. My nickname was BJ with these guys. And I thought he said cutaway. And what cutaway means to a skydiver is that you pull one handle, it releases your main parachute, and then you open your reserve parachute. Well, I thought if he sees something that much wrong with my parachute that he's telling me to cut away, I did. And I used my reserve, and everything worked out good, but it was not the thing to do. So um, my skydiving friends started telling me, you know, maybe you've had enough. You've made over 800 jumps. Uh, maybe it's time for you to quit. Well, after they talked to me for a few minutes, they realized that quitting wasn't an option. Uh, I was going to continue to skydive one way or another. So we got together. We started doing some brainstorming. Um, and I started using two-way radios so that somebody on the ground could talk me down. I um, bought a, an audible altimeter that I wear in my helmet that beeps at the uh, altitude that I want to open my parachute. And um, I, I continued that way for a while. Well, we kept improving it, and uh, this was kind of like the, uh, the preparation part of those stages. We um, put in, I had a custom-built helmet made, and I've got speakers in it for my two radios. I wear two two-way radios. I bought a second audible altimeter, so that I got two audible altimeters. I also have a um, little device that is on my reserve parachute. It's called a Cypress. It's a $1,200 computerized altimeter and speed sensor. And if I go through, pass through 850 feet of, or 750 feet above the ground going over 85 miles an hour, it automatically activates my reserve parachute. So um, with all of these devices in place, I'm still able to skydive. I'm very active skydiving. I, I make maybe 30 to 40 jumps a year. Uh, my big goal is to get to 2,000. Two points that I'd like to make is that if you have a passion for something and because of your eyesight you think you can't do it, well, what you got to do is just get together with other people that do it, do some brainstorming, figure out some ways to adapt. And uh, there's just about nothing that, as people who are visually impaired and blind, that we can't do. If you just think about it and, and do some brainstorming. And at the same time, you can have a lot of fun. And wow. I never get enough of hearing that.
I think the essence of John's message is that we can do just about anything if we are willing to be determined, do some creative brainstorming, and ask for a little help from our friends. I hope you will remember these thoughts as you go about pursuing your passions and dreams. In coming episodes, we will explore tips, strategies, and resources that when used mindfully and consistently will improve our results and enrich our relationships. Please note, the passage you heard by John Fleming came from excerpts of a speech that he gave in July 2005 at the American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention and can be found in the American Council of the Blind Archives. Please see the show notes for more specific information. Thank you for joining me today on Get What You Need and Feel Good About It. Remember, when you speak up for yourself assertively, you will get what you need and feel good about it. You will also be showing respect for yourself and for the other people in your life who are important to you. Until next time, try thinking about it like Stephanie LaHart says it. Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Yes, the only way to do this.